why don't you go down Moses, down in Egypt's land, go down Moses, down in Egypt's land, go down Moses, down in Egypt's land, tell that old Pharaoh, you better let my people go. Pharaoh 
never different. You always have that touch. And I can always feel the Spirit. And I thank you very much, Janet Lee. And a hello out there, everybody. We are here, and you are there. But you may not be very far from us, because by the Soundtron, we touch each other. We are connected. You know, a great scientist, Isaac Newton, he said something that they later came to doubt that it could be possible. But then as science and discoveries in physics kept continuing, they ended up discovering that this statement that Isaac Newton made had validity. Isaac Newton, one of the world's greatest scientists and a man that believed in God, he said that when any part of the universe moves or has a happening, the rest of the universe knows about it. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, in his physical body, we know that Jesus was a compound person. He's called the Lord, and he's called, therefore, the Son of God. And he's also called the Son of Man. In the Son of Man transform, he lived quite a long time before Isaac Newton. And Jesus said, Whatsoever is loosened or bound on earth will be loosened or bound in the heavens of the cosmos. Now that is parallel to what Isaac Newton said. Let me repeat what Isaac Newton said. When any part of the universe moves or has a happening, the rest of the universe knows about it. Now the rest of the universe, of course, includes the earth and all of the solar activity of the planets and the solar system. That's all part of, of, of the cosmos, of the universe. And Isaac Newton said that. What a revelation. I think that in this liberation of revelation, of the Exodus escape, which involves escapes of different venues and different avenues and different ranges of consequences, that in these many different avenues of consequences, it is so important to understand that this escape called entangled, called and entangled with the Passover, to pass and go over. Now, that's a double word. To pass, to get from one point to another, and to go over. When you say something to go over, it gives you the idea of something reaching up and then over. So this is so important to understand that if we are going to get into the revelation of what God really is trying to show us, and really is trying to say, then we have to understand that there are consequences of understanding 
that are going to lift us out of the norm of how we have thought in the past and our realizations that we have given confirmation to sometimes in the past and be ready to enter a state of being shockproof so that as God begins to give us these clarities and, and these new insights that we can get turned on in ways that we have never been turned on before. And there is something that I want to have you really connect with. And that's how that we are a part of this universe. And we are 50% physical, and the other 50% is spirit or spiritual. And that when we are thinking in terms of escaping from the physical, we aren't necessarily thinking in terms of just being totally free of its existence. We are thinking more in terms of being free from its power to bind us, to limit us, and to deprive us of our spirituality. If we can get a hold of the physical in such a way that we can use it as a tool of, a con of being a conduit so that the conduit is able to be used to channel the spirit. Because when you break it down, when you think about the gifts of the spirit, you think about speaking in other tongues, the physical body is a channel through which this other language can come. And you need that channel to be used. And so it is so very, very important as we move into the consequences of these insights and we get into the heartbeat of revelations that are beyond anything we've ever thought before. That we understand with God all things are possible. Now sometimes when people think of all things are possible, they just want to demote everything that is physical and shrink everything that is physical, obliterate everything that is physical, that is physical, and just pronounce the, the spirit. But, you know, that isn't the plan of God. The Holy Spirit came into the physical world and comes into physical bodies and uses physical bodies as channels to speak. And so when the line of God in the 19th chapter of the book of Psalms goes out, it goes out across the entire whole universe. It passes through the universe. Passes. So there we are. There we come to this thing of the, of the word pass. And we think of the term of the Passover. 
and when we get into things like Passover, we can think in terms of, of waves. Because, you know, waves have an up part and a down part. And as they move through space, uh, waves can pass over things and pass through things and pass around things. And the Bible talks about God being that way. You know, God being in us, being passing through us, and passing over us. And so, I want you to really collect the thoughts of this presentation today in a profound way so that your escape of some of these glue-on things of the past that have been such limitations can move in you, through you, and bring you into a person that is starting to think about having the power to utilize the things that are physical to your advantage. You have the body that you have. You have the brain that you have. You have the energy that you have. You have the voice that you have. You have the fingerprint that you have. You have the style of, of looks. You have the situation of living that you have. Discover how that you can use those in unique ways to add them to the dimension of the spirit. And that how that there can be an entanglement of these two so that the spirit can actually be bred and develop in a way that it can be manifested so that in a physical pattern and a physical example, we can see spirit things and know them because of the example in ways that otherwise we wouldn't be able to comprehend them. So when we had talked in the beginning about the Exodus escape and how that there needed to be a velocity, but that velocity that would loosen us from all bindings and compressions and all anti-freedom holds would be a velocity of knowledge. And that there are principles of forces in nature that can be either negative impetitions or that can be impetitions that block the negative and open the positive. And we talked about those kind of actions being called turnings. And they're likened to a wheel. And they can, they can turn and they can bring things to us. You know, it's interesting. I'm getting ready to do, Lord willing, a video in which I plan to challenge Stephen Hawking's uh, recent teachings over the last uh, uh, year or two in which he teaches there not being a God. And it's so interesting how that I remember in the past when preachers and different evangelists used to say that God made the universe out of nothing, and the scientists just scoff that. They say, you know, uh, everything has to have a cause, and there has to be a substance from which everything is made out of. <laughs> interesting. Now, scientists are saying that evidently the universe 
was made out of a, a spontaneity of nothing. So they're coming back around to saying what the, the Christians said many, many years ago and that they made fun of it. And now they're using it as a scientific concept, as a hypothesis that they think is unquestionable. Well, I intend to get into that and remind them that Job, one of the oldest Bible books in the Bible, Job 26, 7, said that God hangs the earth upon nothing. And how that in Psalms 19, 6, the Bible says that nothing is hid from the heat thereof, of this line that passes through all the universe. And this line that exists in such a way that there is no place anywhere in the entire whole universe that it does not touch base with, have an entanglement with. So when Jesus in Matthew 17, 20 said, nothing will be impossible for you, that was so advanced. That was so advanced. When Jesus said in Luke 12, 2, that all things are to be manifested, that was so beautiful. When the scripture written by Paul in Colossians 1, 17 said, by God, by Christ, all things consist. That was beautiful. And I don't think that people understand the beauty of the Bible. And I think that's because they don't know the beauty of the Bible. And I think that when atheist-leaning persons look into the Bible and they see the wars and the violence and the killings and the suffering, that they blame that on God. And that's just because they don't know the Bible. Just because somebody says, thus saith God, does not mean that they are speaking the perfect will of God or speaking with perfect representation of God. When something in nature that is grass or a tree represents some semblance about God, it represents that in the sense of what it is, of what grass is or what a tree is. And when humankind, who the Bible in many places says is the instrument that is being used by God to represent God and to do writings, those writings have become what's called the Bible, and they are representing God. So when you take a man of war like Moses, who was raised up by the Egyptians and taught war from a child, and he turns out becoming a leader of, of a people who themselves are pretty war-orientated, then his religious views are going to be flavored and tainted with that nature of war. And so he is representing God in the nature that he is. 
in the style of person that he is. And that is not a perfect representative of God. And that's why the Bible says that no person, no man, meaning female or male, has ever, ever seen God at any time. So when the Bible talks about Moses speaking face to face with the Lord, we understand that that is a very controversial understanding because in the book of Chronicles and the book of, of Samuel, uh, when the Lord is mentioned, one time that's described as being Satan and another time it's being described as being a Yahweh because the, it is saying that both of these in those two different names was telling him, David to count the people. But it turns out that ultimately God was not pleased with them counting the people. So whether it was Yaviel that tempted him or told him to count the people or it was Satan Lord that told him, neither one of those represented what the ultimate perfect highest will of the Almighty God was. And they were speaking as they were revealing things on the warped planet Earth and the warped cosmos of this universe to the best ways that the human brain with all of its lack of understanding could receive it. And they were dealing with that problem of being able to conceive and, and perceive. But they were not presented in a way that man was seeing God, really, how God is. And we know that God is quite different because the Bible says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. So the Bible tells us in the book of John that God is love. And the Bible tells us that two opposite things can't come out of the same fountain. So we see that if we could ever really know God as God is God, uh, and we could know it in this physical body, that it'd be a good possibility that we would just combust, that our body would not be able to stand uh, the understanding of what God really is because of this totality of pureness. And so no man has ever seen God. And, and there's an old equation in the Bible that says if anybody ever really saw God, they would die because they couldn't stand to look upon that energy or, can, or, or, or comprehend that energy. So since that obviously is the case, then we have to understand that what we are receiving about God, we are receiving about God as represented and by who? Well, by, by humans, of which the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, I pray that God would manifest the mortals, would manifest the humans, that they might understand that they themselves are beasts. Now what we've got is a bunch of beasts in human bodies that are involved in what science is calling evolution. We call it latolution. But there is a certain relativity to those two meanings, although there is also a major difference between them. But what it means, there is a progress uh, 
of advancing and going backwards that happens at the same time. And so we may be thousands of years before humankind has advanced enough to have a mind that can really understand what the intent of the Bible is, what the intent of God Almighty, the God of all gods is, so that humans can come closer to a state of being able to see God of whom the Bible says at this point no man has ever seen. Now I think Stephen Hawking needs to know that. I think he needs to understand that. Because, you know, it's difficult for him in his state of having 50 years of a disease that has crippled him to believe that there could be a merciful God. But he needs to understand how that God has a law that he has put in the, in, the, in the universe and then he turns that on and he allows it to develop. And in that development, there ends up being a choice, a personal choice, as people reach a, a, an, an energy, energy state and a comprehension state where they can make a decision because God does not want robots. He wants people that have made their own decision, and sometimes that decision is to destroy each other. And there's horrible ideas that humans have which are very similar to the beast that will even destroy sometimes their own offspring. So, we want to understand that if we can connect with nature, so that we can have an effect on it. And we can have an effect on it to, to, to change it and improve it. That that is possible. That it is totally possible. And we need to understand that there are things that God is revealing. And that God is trying to show us. But it's a progress. And we're only going to understand these things in the course of time as we latitude or evolve and our minds are conditioned so that we can have a comprehension, not as a man, but have a comprehension by the spirit that is within us. For the Bible tells us the spirit is able to search out all things. But now we have to, when the Spirit does search out all things, we have to be able to get the conveyance of what that Spirit is discovering and have it be able to pass into the, the human. And that is where the problem of translation gets involved. People receive something and they think that they are conveying it in the highest level of understanding when in fact they are only revealing it in a human viewpoint that has a lot of beast critter in it and a lot of non-mercy and a lot of non-understanding of God. Once we can comprehend that, then we can understand what the Bible means when, when, 
when the Bible says in the book of St. John, and Jesus Christ was a great light, and he shone in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. That's not a lie. That's not a false bit of information. It's telling us the way that it really is. It's telling us why there is confusion out there. It's telling us why when people read the Bible, they can actually become atheists. Because it sounds sometimes cruel. But if they don't understand at least the honesty of the Bible by these humans who were trying to find truth, writing down how they conducted themselves so that a person that can read it can see through it and can get into the, the story of what we are preaching about, the escape, to get into the Passover, to pass over the physical mentality, to pass over the limits of spirit and get into a revelation that is beyond and above anything they have ever experienced before. Okay. Now, there are some important things I want to share with you. When we talk about eating the Passover of Jesus' blood, when we talk about being circumcised of the heart and going to the city of God and attending the church of the firstborn, when we talk about entertaining the witnesses, when we talk about understanding spiritual realms existing, having physical locations, physical locations that have no space between them, specific places that represent designations, when we understand how that, like in John 3, 12-13, Jesus describes himself as being in heaven while he is standing on earth speaking about it. When we can understand in John 2, 19-21, the physical temple being used to represent the physical body. When we understand how that Ezekiel 37, 1 through 6, 11 and verse 22 can speak about a, a valley of dead bones representing the dead of Israel that needed to be raised again to life. When we can begin to understand how that the church in the wilderness was teaching something about how that people that go into rebellion will go into a detour if they don't get out of that rebellion. If they don't get into a Passover of that rebellion, they will go into a detour and they will miss during their time's life, being able to go into the promised land. That's what happened to over 600,000 representatives 
that were called the army of God that represented the congregation of Israel and the people of Israel when they turned rebellious and got into interference with the plan of the angels to go before them and deliver them and show them a different kind of way above human nature. So, we have to come in to these revelations. And we have to open our mind a totally different way than we've ever thought of it before. Now, it's very interesting how that there are representations on earth that have representations of spiritual things. Things that aren't ultimately spiritual, but that move into the next range of spirituality because they have cosmic residence that are in closer association to the meaning of the highest spiritual level of what we call the first domain. Like, there are mountains. Mountains that are important to know about. Like Mount Hermon, that the Bible says in Deuteronomy is also called, it is also called Zion. And yet we know there's another Zion. There are two different Zions. But this Zion that is on Mount Hermon, it is depicted as being a place where the principalities described in the book of Ephesians are at war with each other. And that the, that the significance of the warring that goes on with flesh and blood is not even deemed, according to that scripture, as having significance compared to the significance of the war that is going on between the principalities of light and the principalities of darkness. And that there was two fall of angels that happened and that came down to this earth. And one was the fall of the angels that were co-owned with Lucifer, Satan, Lucifer wasn't called Satan then, but he then be ended up earning that title, and he was cohooned. That meant that there was other angels that had become part of him, and these were also angels that all had the uh, quality of being um, leader angels in the sense of of being archangels. That's the highest angel you can get. When you go beyond an, uh, an archangel, you go in, uh, into uh, the hallowing, which then leads you to the, the next highest uh, place in God. We won't get into that today. And so then, we've got that mountain, Hermon. It is a physical mountain. It has three physical peaks. It is basically at the one end of the promised land. And it represents 
forces that are principalities that came down from an alien location. And they came down to earth in what we understand in the human language as a fall. But that is not really a good description of it. But for now, we'll leave that be. And they then are in contact because we see that Lucifer is talked about as a, as a dragon. And there is literally a star, a star asterism, a star constellation called the dragon. So stars are involved somehow in a connection to these entities called forces of darkness that have now come down to a representative location on a mountain called Hermon. And then Jesus is called the bright and morning star. And as the bright and morning star... He has come down in his representative of angels, there being one trillion of them, and they're represented on this mountain of Hermon. So we have these two falls, if we want to call them that, of angels. And they all have connections. In addition to their connection on that mountain, they have connections to the stars. And there are so many things about the mountains and the heavenly thing. Jesus preaches on the Mount of Olives, representing the oil of anointing. On that oil of anointing, he talks about his Father which art in heaven. He is called the bright and morning star. A star shines over his birthplace, which has more than one meaning in the 30, 60, 100-fold insight. Then Moses, when he is told that he cannot go to the promised land because he got too involved with the rebellious and how he handled them, is taken to Mount Nebo which has a very unique location. We don't have time to get into that. And he is to look from there over into the promised land, but not be able to go to it. Nevertheless, later in the transfiguration, he shows up with Elijah on Mount Hermon, the Mount of Transfiguration. And then the mountain range of Hor, H-O-R, has the mountain in it called the Sinai where thousands and thousands of angels come down in these flying craft over this mountain Sinai. And they're obviously from extraterrestrial space in starlands far, far away. But they are connecting to this mountain, Sinai. 
It's just interesting. Then there's Mount Moriah, which is where the Temple Mount is. But it also is the place where Abraham thought he was supposed to offer his son Isaac. And the angel said, no, that's not the plan. And Mount Moriah has become this holy, sacred place. But the same Abraham that heard from that angel that said, no, don't offer your son, it's the same angel that said, Abraham, lift up your eyes into the stars. Even in other religious sect, there is like, for instance, the Mount Maru, which is called a cosmic mountain. And it has all kinds of ancient things that the Hindus believe. And then there's the Mount of Ararat, where the ark has landed. But then when you get into studies of stars and constellations and all of those kinds of things, what do you come across? You come across that there's actually sort of like a constellation that is called Arco. And it's about a great ship. And it coalesces with this thing of the Ark of, of Noah. And people are making pilgrimage, pilgrimages to mountains. Then there's the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper and all the meanings that that portrays. And there's the mountain. We're going to change here in just a minute. Let me just finish this thought. The mountain of Gelgal, which the word Gelgal means wheel. And that was the very mountain just right at the spot, just, just prior, right before Israel entering the Promised Land. And Gilgal meaning wheel. And they use mountains for observatories. For what? To see the stars. There is a connection. Janet Lee at the organ.
wow, I am moved. And God is moving by His Spirit in this music, and that's what people are telling me. They tell me that they are just moved when they hear this music because they feel the Spirit of the Holy Ghost in it. Praise God. <clears throat> okay, let us move on. Now, let me read from Ezekiel and chapter 20, verse 40. For in mine holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in that land, serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and firstfruits, your oblations, with all your holy things. In mine holy mountain, in the mountain of the height, of Israel. Now all Israel wouldn't be on a plane that was elevated. But here is a mountain that represents something. And it represents a height. A height in which God would accept Israel in a different way than God has accepted them before. Because there's been so much purging that has been needed. They just have not been ready and they have a very difficult time getting ready. And it says that something shall happen to the, to the mind. The, they're going to re begin to remember some things. And here's what it says in the 43rd verse. And there, now where is there? Well, in the holy mountain in the height of Israel, that place in God, that place in the mind, that place that is, that is a place that is free by the Spirit. It's in the crossover. It's so interesting. It says, and there you shall remember your ways and all your doings wherein you have been defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that you have committed. There is a realization that does have to come. But you can't be wiped out by these realizations. You can't be destroyed by them. Because then the whole concept of what God is trying to do to purify people and to bring them out of their beast would be in vain. But there is a height. There is a height. And that height encompasses connections between that which is higher and that which is lower. But in that height, at some point, there has to come a realization of what a person in the physical side belongs to. The animal side, that dark side, that beast side. And how defiling that that is in comparison to the pure and the, the pleasant sweetness of God and the love of God. 
Because God can say and give a commandment, thou shalt not kill. And people just turn it around. Yes, I believe in that. Thou shalt not kill unless you need to. And so, of course, we're going to obey the commandments. We're not going to kill unless, unless we want to. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, we believe in that. No, going to commit adultery. We'll just marry more than one wife. We we'll go out here and we win a battle and we'll take all, kill all the men and save the women alive and we'll take those as extra wives. So we're not committing adultery. We're just uh, taking on some extra wives. It says you'll remember what you have done. How you have changed things, stretched things. You'll remember that when you get up to the height. Well, there's some interesting things. So interesting. You know, like, it, it's just amazing what I'm going to share with you here. And I, I mentioned it in the past, but they have discovered that in the universe there are planets that are practically all diamond. They're made of diamonds. There's, they, the way they were compressed, the way they came into their being, they're practically just mostly a diamond. Planets like that in our universe. They've also discovered that all stars basically are diamonds. They, have, they, they, they get so compressed, they end up making these diamonds. So diamonds are very much involved with stars. And all stars that become black holes are stars that are diamonds. We think of that, that poem, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Like a diamond in the sky. So now you've got a diamond. A diamond in planets. Some planets that they say are basically all, all diamonds. In fact, one of the recent things that's going on in science is plans to do mining, extraterrestrial mining, like asteroids that have a lot of diamonds in them and other rare minerals. And they're trying to figure out ways. They've already been able to land, uh, you know, craft and, and investigative type of of machinery on these asteroids. And they've drilled into them. All these things are in the making. Why is that important? All this new kind of carbon, this fiber that they have found, and that they are being able to, to use and discover that it has a lattice. And that the lattice is so awesome 
that it has many times multiple the strength of any other material. So that that very just little thin sheet of it can support an elephant. And this is all stuff of the planet. Stuff of the stars and stuff of the black holes. There's an incredible future that is coming. There are awesome discoveries and awesome changes coming. But the Bible predicts a lot of it. In fact, it's so amazing how much of it is predicted. When you really understand it, it's nothing less than super awesome. Now, in the book of Revelations, chapter 8, let's take a fast peek at it. Revelations chapter 8. And let's look at um, verse 7. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up, and the second angel sounded, and it were as a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had died, or that had life, died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers. Now here's our, our insight. We know that there's no star that qualifies as a star. You could say, well, that represented a meteorite, but it wasn't a star then. A, a meteorite is not a star. An asteroid is not a star. So when it says a star fell, on the earth, and this happened, we immediately know that it is now not talking about something being totally literal in the sense of the representation, representing it in the magnitude of this literal aspect. Now, if we skip to chapter 9 of Revelations, We find in there, uh, you know, with a little bit of very careful reading, first verse, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now we find out that the star was personified, it was a person. But that doesn't mean that every time it mentions a star, that it is personified. Star can represent something different. It can represent a radiation, an energy. That can be both good and bad. Sunlight can be something that's very favorable. It can also be something very disastrous. It depends on the, the quantity of it, the angle of it. And the intensity of it. 
So if we go back to this thing, verse, chapter 8, verse 2, and I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And the angel came and stood at the altar. Now, verse 4, And the smoke of the incense, which came up with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. We get an idea there of the altar of the saints that we are talking about something that has to do with the earth. And we get the idea then that there is something unusual about these seven sounding trumpets. That in a sense there is an alignment so that the first trumpet that it mentions that sounds and it talks about the angel sounded, the first angel sounded, and there was hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, okay? It does have something to do with the earth, doesn't it? Yes. Then a second one sounds, verse 8, and it was as a great mountain burning was cast into the sea. That's also got something to do about the earth, the sea and the earth, and so forth. And yet, when we consider chapter 9, that I read you, and how that a star can be personified to represent an entity. And then we understand by reading in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelations and the 15th verse, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Then we realize that the sea can actually represent nations, people, tongues, kindreds. And so the effect that it's talking about, that is coming, that is going to, to do this damage, is going to be something that is going to harm the people harm the sea. And it's interesting that this number one-third constantly, or often, let's say, comes up in the book of Revelations. Because in the 12th chapter, it says there's a one-third of the stars of heaven fell to the earth. So this third is a really important thing as representing one-third of, of a kind of angels that, were, that are mentioned, that were sent to the galaxy to do creation. So we know from our teachings, you have the, this uh, one-third is the cherubim, one-third is the seraphim, one-third is the ophanim, the wheels described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10 that represent the human beings. And this takes us back to the mountain of Hermon that have fallen down on this Mount Hermon, which is at the very end of the promised land. It's at the end of the border. It's like beyond almost, you know, Beersheba to Dan, beyond that. Just a little bit because it represents that end place. And there's a war going on there. A war with entities not of this earth. 
And stars have fallen there, one-third of the stars, which ends up being a trillion in number. So now we got a mountain and we got stars. And then we've got, in this eighth chapter, this trumpet that seems to be entangled. In other words, all of these different events except the last trumpet that sounds actually all are entangled. They all belong together. Now, for instance, let's look at verse 8. This is the second angel that sounds. And the second angel sounded, and it were as a great mountain burning with fire. When you actually do the, the Greek of that meaning there, of, of a mountain burning with fire, called Burning Mountain, it is the literal translation connected with the Greek from the Latin, meaning volcanus, which means burning mountain. This is exactly then equal to the Bible's description in Revelation 8.8, a great mountain burning with fire. We do not say there are not other potential spiritual meanings, but in the physical sense, the Bible is referring to a great burning mountain meaning potential volcanic activity of a, of a cataclysmic nature. Now what happens with volcanic conditions? Well, it spews up this poison. And it, it can affect the whole earth. The debris can travel in the skies and, and can can stop the sun from shining uh, down to earth and, 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 and bring a, a nuclear type of winter to the earth. So it's all about the environment. And that ties right in to the third angel. A great star falls from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And the name of the star is Wormwood. Now, we believe that that wormwood, that star, is talking about a description of the black hole that is in the middle of the galaxy of the Milky Way. And that in the course of time, and do not forget that you cannot get into the Bible and think that you are going to read a chronological explanation of anything, because the Bible is not in chronological order, and it cannot be read that way or understood that way, because when you try to read it that way, and you try to read about where the crucifixion took place in the Garden of Gethsemane relationship, you find out that that actually is talking about some place in Egypt. And then in Sodom, when you think about the time of that, create, of that crucifixion, you think of that about it happening in the days of the Roman Empire. Then you find out that before the world was formed, 
that Christ was crucified. So time is affected. So that things that belong to the past happen in the present, and things that happen in the press, present belong to the future. And the Alpha and the Omega meet at the same point and merge their happenings. So you can never decipher or break any kind of a code that really reveals to you the when of something. Because God always requires, the Bible says in, the, in the Ecclesiastes, that which is past. And so matter, no matter what it is that is happening presently, no matter what it is that is happening futuristically, the ultimate bottom line requirement is always that which has happened in the past. Because there is a continuum and a repetitive aspect of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing being able to be added to him and nothing being able to be taken away. And the changes that are happening are changes that are happening with things outside of the first domain that need to ultimately become that which belongs to the past, not that which belongs to the present or the future. And the only way that can really correlate or happen is for a merging of the Alpha and the Omega and then the realization to come of what a person really is and has been and what a person must be set free from by the Passover. So then as you come to that, you start beginning to understand the language of the Bible in an absolutely beautiful way. Because as we, we get into reading this whole thing about the volcanoes and, and about the productions of the, of the, the high um, volcanic eruptions, uh, which we, when we begin to figure the, the, the ratios of their venting gases and, and all of that, uh, we develop uh, uh, what is called um, column collapses, which these column collapses are equal to gravitational collapses, which has a lot to do with what happens when a star becomes a black hole. Then we see that in that pressure, in that ultimate singularity, what is made out of that are diamonds. And that there is a message there that has been missed. A message there that has not been understood. Let's just, let's just quickly go through some scriptures. I have maybe about ten here, but I'll, I'll be efficient. Let's look at Exodus 24. In Exodus 24 and verse 10, here's what it says. And this is talking about when Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went out and lifted up their eyes and saw, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. 
as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. What's that about? Sapphire, stone. Well, that belongs to the diamond class. And it's connected with, with God. And it's connected with the body of heaven. And it's connected with the crystallized, crystalline clearness. It's connected with being able to see God in a different kind of way. That underneath the standing place of God is a pavement that is paved with sapphire diamonds. Why that representation? Let's look at Exodus 28, verse 18. This is talking about the Urim and the Thummim and the breastplate and the different row, rows of, of stones. And the second row shall be an emerald a sapphire, and a diamond. The Urim and the Thummim is said to mean perfection of light or lights. Perfection. God is standing on the paved sapphire. There's this entanglement so that whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in the heavens. Whatever is bound on earth is bound in the heavens. Whatever freedom of this escape from the binding energies of the flesh and the binding energies of the mortal being is escaped from through this tremendous plan of God that allows us to have this crossover that allows us to have this escape ladies and gentlemen this is so important let's look at Exodus 39:11 And they set in it four rows of stone. The first row was a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. And this was the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. They repeat this again. But this time, this whole thing of the making of the breastplate is tied into chapter 39, verse 1, and... Of the blue and the purple and the scarlet, they made cloths of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments of Aaron and the Lord commanded Moses and he made an ephah of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet, of fine linen. And they did beat the gold into the thin plates and on and on and on. There are meanings there. There are revelations there. Let's go to let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 
chapter 1. And let's just see what that says. Ezekiel chapter 1. Let's read this. Chapter 1, verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it, the height of Israel above, the pass over, the throne. The Bible says that one day in the book of of Daniel, that the thrones are going to come down. They're going to be set on earth. The thrones are coming down. We haven't begun to understand the throne energy and what throne actually means. How that it is about the revelation of a manifold God, which is a body ministry. And how that coming and sitting on the throne on the right and on the left, where it says that we're going to come and sit with him on the throne, is all about that throneship ministry revelation. And it's all connected to these earthly, to these cosmetic uh, things that, that are beautiful, like diamonds and jewelry, that nevertheless come about by tremendous pressures and collapses via gravitational experiences upon things that are material. Let's look at Ezekiel 10.1. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man that clothed with linen and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thy hand with the coals of fire from between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in in my sight. There is a ministry of the mercy seat. Obviously, the ministry of the mercy seat is missing in the world today. The idea of mercy out there just is almost in non-existence with an awful lot of the people of the world. There's a cruel world out there. But there is a mercy seat, and the cherubim angels are guardians of that. And there is a time when God's people are to go in and take hold of the hot coals and are to be involved in this sapphire stone which has the appearance and the likeness of a throne. Let's go to Revelations chapter 21. Now in Revelations chapter 21, here's what it says. And this is so very important. When we get into Revelations 21, we're getting sort of close to the end of the book of Revelation. But um, let's look at it. Revelations 21, 19. 
and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth pearl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophus. It's actually said a little different than that, but I'll just leave it. And the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amorist. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Wow. The very foundations of the walls of the city are garnished with these stones. And in the 22nd verse, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Religion's going to come to an end. This concept of places to go and think that you're worshiping God called churches, called temples, it's going to come to an end. There's going to be a new space. The Passover is going to pass over a lot of this old religious mentality. It's going to pass over a lot of these, sorry to have to say it, but false doctrines. It's going to pass over them. And there's a whole world full of diamonds, sapphires, precious stones that are connected to the whole story of the universe and the whole story of the earth. And there are black holes out there. And there are forces that are going to have empowerment by the materials that they will garner from those black holes. And there's going to be a war between the forces of darkness and the forces of, of light. Ladies and gentlemen, the thrones are going to come down. And we're going to begin to understand a new kind of thing, a new kind of thinking. Turn with me to Isaiah 54. We're almost through these scriptures. Isaiah 54. Here's what it says. This is important. Look at um, verse 11. Isaiah 54, 11. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. What does this mean? How is jewelry, precious stones, going to comfort us from affliction? from 
being tossed and flipped from the temptus. There is something beyond human understanding. There is something deeper than the deepest fathoms of the sea. There is something glorious in the message of of this stone ministry. Let's go back to Exodus 28, 17. Exodus 28, 17. Wow. The Bible is so great. So great. Here's what it says. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. (laughs) Wow. There's all these different rows. No doubt these are also different levels of the foundation, different foundation levels. And those levels may be divided into ranks. And if there's if there's four four levels, each of those might have three ranks to it. And that would equal 12, which ties into circuits of God. Now let's look again at Exodus 39:10. We we read very close to that, but let's just look at it. Exodus 29, we're just about through here, 29.10. And here's what it says. And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock. Now, the head of the bullock stands for a thousand generations, which ties in because it's, it's actually even the first word of the Hebrew letter. It, it represents 105th chapter of Psalms. A thousand generations. There's a time coming. We're going to get a hold of the bullock. We're going to get hold of the revelation. We're going to get hold of the meaning of the thousand generations. All right, my last scripture for now. Ezekiel 28. Here's what it says. 28, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Ever precious stone was thy covering the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. This is talking about co-owning. This is talking about what Jesus said. 
I and my Father are one. I am in Him, and He is in me. As I am in my Father, and He is in me, you will be in me, and I will be in you. It's a a joining, a type of co-uning. Not the ultimate co-uning, but a type of co-uning in this sense. And it was involved with Lucifer before he fell. And it was involved with the cherubims. And it's compared to as, as jewelry. It's a beautiful thing. It's throne ministry. It's manifold revelation. It's part of the, the Passover. As we're listening to these teachings, as we're getting ingrained <laughs> into this revelation, the Passover is leading us beside the still waters. The shadow of death has no learnings nor no ability to cause fear. We see beyond ourselves, stepping lightly on the jewelry of God from one beautiful space dimension to another space dimension. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. God bless you.